is Dan Macon with Sheep Stuff You Should Know, and uh, my partner Ryan Mahoney is away on assignment today, but I am really excited that I get to talk to Dr. Fred Groverman today. Fred, how are you? Well, I'm, I'm doing very well today because I'm alive and I'm vertical. <laughs> on the right side of the dirt, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> not like uh, roots. <laughs> oh, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for, for doing this today, Fred. My pleasure. I hope. It, it, I, every time we talk, I learn something. So if you don't enjoy it, I know I will. And that's all okay. that matters. All right. <laughs> so tell me, I want to start with a little bit about where your family came from, Fred. Where, how long have there been Grovermans in Petaluma and, and where did they come from? Well, my, uh, I started with my mother because she had a big family. She had, she had uh, uh, four brothers and uh, a sister. And wow. they came from the island of Fur in the North Sea, which is near Denmark. Oh, wow. Some of the ancestors obviously came from Denmark because sometimes Denmark owned the, the island of Fur and sometimes Germany owned it. But it's a 28-mile-around island out there. And uh, they have, you know, different methods of getting food to survive. And so she, uh, her... Uh, father came here, worked in New York for a little while, then moved to California and rented his first cows to milk in wow. Petaluma. Wow. Then went out towards uh, Sebastopol and uh, was on a dairy out there. And she said, you know, when I, uh, when I was born, I, uh, we had to open eight, uh, seven gates to get to the barn so we could... <laughs> We could milk the cows. <laughs> and then after that, they moved to a place in Sebastopol. And her last name was Peterson. And so now she, uh, or then she lived on Peterson Road in Sebastopol. I'll be darned. I'll so be they, darned. Had, uh, they had apples and a whole bunch of things. A lot of cows, yeah. uh, no sheep. They had some, uh, some vines of one kind or another, but... Uh, then she she um, settled down very good, and they had a great life. And one of my uncles almost played uh, played uh, uh, hardball in San Francisco, but he decided to stay on the ranch. And then good choice. My, <clears throat> that's right. And then my dad, uh, his family came from uh, Western Germany, and they uh, they came in the late eighteen hundreds and uh, settled in San Francisco. And they had a place near 9th and Bryant Street uh, where there was a, uh, a place that, that uh, grew, grew beer, made beer. And so my grandfather used to drive a brewery wagon, uh, two horses and, and cake beer, and he delivered wow. that throughout the city. And wow. <clears throat> he did that for, <clears throat> for a number of years. And uh, then, uh, and my dad was was born in eighty in ninety six, <clears throat> and then ten years later, during the earthquake, uh, they had a real problem. And I have a picture of his house uh, after the earthquake and be the before the fire did. So um, at that point, he uh, took his uh, a team of two uh, workhorses and uh, hauled and and hooked up the wagon and he hauled people uh, that were, uh, were dangerously near the fire to Golden Gate Park so they could have a place to uh, survive. Wow. And I still have a lot of pictures of, uh, uh, Golden, of San Francisco uh, after the fire and uh, <clears throat> they didn't, their, their house of course did not survive. Yeah. Yeah, he moved then to, to Seattle where he had some relatives up there for a couple of uh, weeks and then came home and, and got a place in Petaluma. And uh, about two months later, he moved to uh, where we are across the road from us now. And then uh, in, 19, uh, in, in, 2000, in 1999, um, he moved on the ranch where we are today. And so uh, Groverman's been on the ranch since uh, 
since 1909. Wow. So that's what, uh, 11 years or nine years or something like that. Anyway, that's where we've been, and that's where I was born and raised, and uh, that's where I started milking cows when I was nine years old. And it was a lot of fun. Holstein cows? Well, we had several different cows, but the, they had been, before I started milking, we had had uh, TB, so some of them had left. And, but when I started milking when I was nine, I was milking on a jersey that was older than I was. Wow. wow. And she had the fastest hooves in town. <laughs> I'd have the, I've had the bucket about half full and she'd put her foot in it, you know, so. But anyway, I, I had to take, haul that milk and we had uh, up to f up to eight gallons of milk, uh, four gallons in each arm. And I, I took, I had to take that about, oh, probably uh, 2,000 feet down to where we had to, we took the, uh, the, the uh, cream off and sold the cream. And, and we also had uh, 8,000 chickens on our 50 acres. Wow. And, uh, I had to, to uh, we'd take the wagon and old Billy would haul the wagon out there and uh, he'd stop at a, a colony house. And the colony houses are uh, about, uh, oh, six to eight feet wide and about 10 feet long. And that's where they lay their eggs. And okay. uh, every third or fourth or fifth uh, building would have uh, uh, an egg house in it. So when old Bill got to the egg house, he'd take uh, one, one uh, step or two farther and then we'd gather the eggs. And of course, we would also give them food and you could use Sixty-five uh, percent of their diet on pasture that way, and they would uh, they would eat the bugs and eat the grass and the seeds, and so uh, we even had uh, uh, <clears throat> we had, at that time we had uh, hatching eggs, and we would we would gather the eggs, and of course we'd screen them to see how they were, and we'd sell hatching eggs as well as eggs to the uh, to the the um, uh, <clears throat> poultry producers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and of course, <clears throat> Petaluma was the egg capital of the world at that time. <clears throat> yep, yep. And of course, we couldn't drive to San Francisco because the we didn't have a bridge until 37. Oh, right, so, right. So it was all done by boat to San Francisco. Wow. And uh, so that's, that's how Petaluma survived. And um, <clears throat> my dad was, uh, was involved in that. And my grandfather on my mother's side was, uh, uh, was on the board of directors of the poultry producers. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Petaluma has the tallest building in town and it's the poultry producers with uh, all those stacks and that's how they, that's where we got all our feed. Yeah. Anyway, um, my dad was master of ceremonies when that building was uh, was started and they opened it in 1937. And I can remember uh, running around as a little kid on the, the, the floors and they were of course very slick floors because that was where the sacks, feed sacks were. Oh, sure, sure. So I remember the, and that building's still there and it's still being used for, uh, for feed. That's so remarkable. That, a few years ago. <clears throat> so when did you get? When did your family start in sheep? Then, Fred, how did sheep well, come into the picture? I I don't remember it too well, but it had to be when I was six months old. <laughs> so just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he he uh, he worked with some 4-Hers. I guess they're FFA people, and he got five or six. Uh, Shropshire used from them and then he had some more that he got from uh, a little later from uh, Dave Davis but uh, they were from Shropshire, the university Shropshire sheep well uh, people called Oisty brothers oh okay okay and they uh, they had had, uh, <clears throat> had sheep over there 
Okay. And he had always said, gee, you know, I really want to be a veterinarian. And so uh, that planted the seed that uh, further, you know, got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you started, he started with Shrops yes. the year you were born. Okay, okay. Yes. So, so uh, what, yeah. what, I mean, why have you stayed with Shropshire's all, all through these years, Fred? Why have you stayed with that? I, I, knew, nothing, I knew nothing else. I did. I did very well to the Dorsets, but okay. you know, I, I raised. I had. Uh, I had four uh, four children, uh, two girls and two boys, and they ended up being twenty five and uh, twenty five feet six inches all all together. <laughs> I wonder how they got their height. How did that happen? Well, I always raised animals and kids, you know, very well and got to get the maximum out of them. <laughs> I, I ended up being the smallest man in the family. And I'm 6'4". <laughs> uh, so, Fred, who were the, the most influential people in your early career? Who? who well, you know, you when, you, when you get in that, get in the, the barn. We had a, a barn that had three holes in it, so I'd have to go out and get the get the cows in, and and I had a dog that could help me do that. But we get them in, and we we chop up some pumpkins and get the feed that we could give them, and and we milk. And um, so uh, uh, in the milking process, I happened to get a hold of some uh, pox, some cowpox. So, uh, and we had a, a veterinarian in town and a very nice guy. And he would come out and take care of uh, the horses and, and do the, the cows and things like that. And so I'm milking cows and he comes out and I said, well, can you help me with this cow? She's got these sores on her teats. And so, you know, at that point, all we had uh, in our repertoire was, uh, was iodine and mm -hmm. uh, then all of a sudden along came some sulfa drugs or, and some of those sulfa drugs were the colored sulfas and others were other regular mix, sulfa mix. So he gave me this material to put on this teat. And so that's what, what we used on the cow. Well, he came back about two weeks later and he said, say, he said that, that sore you have on your, uh, on your arm, and I had a sore below my elbow. He said, um, it doesn't look like that's healing. I said, no, it's not healing. The doctor gave me some stuff, but it, it's, it's not doing what it should do. Well, he said, you know that stuff we gave the cow? Put that on there. Okay. So sure as heck, I put that on my arm, and in a week, it was gone. It was, it's one of the strep infections that went with that uh, that, that problem. Yeah, yeah. So right away, you know, and and he was a wonderful guy, uh, and uh, I I'd worked with him, and he had a uh, a son that got into veterinary medicine, and uh, <clears throat> he was well known through uh, Petaluma. <clears throat> so that got me interested in it, and so. Uh, with my dad's uh, planting that seed and, and him with the success that he's had with me, uh, I decided when I was in the ninth grade that veterinary medicine, here I come. Wow. Wow. And did you go to undergrad at Davis as well as vet school? Well, that was a little bit of a problem. Um, and I'll step back a year or two. There was a guy by the name of uh, Wilson that was uh, the sheep producing guy in in, uh, uh, in Davis. Okay. And, and he'd been been there, and uh, he had an experience uh, at Davis where he was looking at sheep, and he had this one lamb that he had in a uh, scale, and the scale was a. Uh, a cattle scale, so it was, you know, 10 by 12 or something like that. 
And this lamb was in the scale getting weighed. And that lamb came across the floor and hit the side of the scale. He, he was so wool blind from the amount of wool that the Shropshire has. Yeah, yeah. Shropshire came from the island, from the uh, uh, hills of Shropshire in England. And then they added uh, Stealthdown to it and Border Leicester. And that's how they got the wool on the, little bit of wool on the feet and legs. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's gone now because we took care of it. But um, he was so upset that he wrote the wool growers. And there was a fellow named Chet Wing that was the secretary of the wool growers. And you may have heard of him or seen yep. something. Anyway, yep. uh, he wrote a scathing letter to the uh, wool growers. And at that, at the 1900, 1900, the Shropshire was the biggest flock of sheep in California. They had over, over 40,000 from San Francisco to the Oregon border. Wow. And a lot of them were woolly faced. And the people that were in the fair at that time showed these woolly faced lambs and they were they were small. They were about like a small south down. Mm-hmm. They had so much wool in their face that they had to cut a hole in the eyes so they could see. And so he was really upset with that. And that scathing letter caused my dad to find out what was going on. And uh, we have a picture of myself and my sister about 1937 where they have uh, not that much wool on their face, but enough wool on their face so that you had to take them in every week or so and get the foxtails out of the eyes. Oh, sure, sure. And then he he found a guy in uh, Elliot, uh, which is south of Eureka. Uh, I mean, uh, and, um, uh, and, and Wilson E. Elliot was his name, but uh, he had a ram that was about that size. It must have been mature, maybe uh, uh, 110 pounds or 115 pounds, very mm-hmm. small. But yeah. he had an open face. So the guy said, no, I don't want to, I, no, he's got too, much, too open face. It's not like the standard for the Shropshire. Well, my dad persisted and we got that ram and in four or five years, uh, we had um, 50 or 60 head of sheep that had open faces, but they were smaller. Okay. So okay. we started that and then uh, he knew uh, this guy, Wilson, that, um, at Davis, and there was a fellow over there in Dixon called Howard Vaughn. And Howard Vaughn was an international uh, traveler, and he was going to England to get some suffixes because he was a Suffolk breeder. Okay. So he, he, he uh, was introduced to my dad, and my dad, uh, I guess he cried in his lap. But he said, he said, yes, I can, I'll find something. So uh, he went over there and he picked out a grand champion lamb at about nine months. And he took it with his flock of uh, Suffolk sheep that he took to Canada first. And I think they had to be in Canada for six weeks or six months or something like that. Oh, okay. But okay. At, at that after that time, <clears throat> We had a fellow that was uh, ended up being a veterinarian, and, and, and Davis, he was ahead of me in school, but he was a manager for this guy, Vaughn, and Vaughn sent him up to, uh, to um, Canada to, keep, to keep, keep those uh, animals in good shape to get them yeah. here. So we had, in 1950, we had a ram from England. And it was a really good ram, and uh, uh, <clears throat> we got it in uh, the fall of 1950. Well, uh, in 51, I left for Davis, and my dad took me up there. They had the three-story buildings for, uh, for, uh, for living in up there, 
And that building was a new building. And I moved in with a fellow by the name of Burbank. And Burbank was related to the Burbank that did all the work for the uh, for um, trees and everything. Oh, yeah. 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 And trees and everything. And he, he lived in Santa Rosa, but he, he traveled every day uh, to Sebastopol where he had a big garden. And so he still has, uh, there's still Burbank Gardens in, San, in Santa Rosa. Yeah. Um, they, so anyway, um, that's, uh, that's what happened. Um, so we we uh, uh, we got got that squared away then and then <clears throat> the um, uh, I had graduated in '51 and so I, he took me over to Davis and introduced me to the professor, unfortunately, and uh, I got a place in the dormitory, uh, rooming with David Burbank, and oh, David God. Burbank is now working for Burbank Gardens in Santa Rosa. Oh, wow. So he wow. was with me. And so uh, my job over there was to bring the paper up when, because we got a paper every day. Yeah. So, and then I had to go about a uh, quarter of a mile for breakfast and I had a bicycle and that's where I, and of course, Davis is a bicycle campus. Yep, yep. So and I got back, the mother said, um, I, I want to. I want to see you in my office. And I said, "Oh, I got to get the paper." She <laughs> said, "No, you don't. I, you need to see me. I need to see you right now." So I went in the office. She said, "I've got some bad news for you." She said, uh, "Your father passed away last time." Oh my! So I had been there three weeks. Wow! So she put me in a car with David Burbank, and we traveled to Petaluma. And you know that's about an hour and a quarter, and yeah. so when I got home, there uh, was my mother, and uh, uh, fortunately, the guy that owned the feed mill, which was called Corona Feed, which is also uh, also had Pacific Guano, which had bat uh, debris that they used for sales, yeah. And he was there, and he said, "Listen," he says, "I'm really sorry uh, about your dad." But he said, uh, if you need some work summers, uh, I can put you to work in my uh, at, in my uh, uh, my my place, and you can work with uh, the uh, the seeds and that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, we we buried him on the 18th of October, and uh, so um, that's uh, that's how that happened. So I quit at that time, but they gave me uh, the money back that I used to enter school and gave that back to me for uh, the next semester, which was spring. So at that point in time, we had 1,250 turkeys that had replaced the chickens that we had. So I worked with my mother and we took care of the turkeys and we, found those turkeys uh it's a lot of work and yeah. so anyway we had those turkeys and we got them to december and the guy that uh, we got the turkey poults for originally uh he said uh, uh well i've got a buyer for your turkeys and he said oh that's wonderful because uh, we had been picking 500 head uh, a year and selling them new york dressed uh, and we didn't want to do that, of course, because uh, the, the, my dad had killed the turkeys and I had helped and my sister had helped to dress them. And yeah. so, um, then w we got the turkeys sold and uh, that worked out very good. And this was uh, uh, this was was very good, except that four days later, she got the check back for the bank. And it was four thousand four hundred forty-four dollars and forty cents, and so she took it over to the guy that uh, she got the uh, pulse from, and he said, "What? Well, I'll take care of that right away." Well, he called the guy, and in uh, about four days, the check was good. So, wow! wow. Really, 
Wow. You know, that was a little stress on my mother. Oh, yeah. And uh, my mother, she was a hard worker. Uh, she was such a hard worker that uh, she was born in, in 1900. And uh, her mother had a bad kidney. And when my mother was 16, uh, her mother had her kidney removed. Now, that was in 1917 or 18. Yeah. And my mother then had to do all the work and everything for the rest of the family. <clears throat> so my mother knew how to work. I guess. And yes. She, she really did a good job with the sheep. So she, uh, so I, I stayed here um, at the ranch. And uh, uh, actually earlier, before that, in the uh, 4th of February in 1950, uh, my dad sent me with the Farm Bureau members to Asilomar. And I went with, uh, with uh, uh, five other people from Sonoma County for uh, a, a meeting and teach for learning uh, uh, all about uh, government and handling uh, meetings and so on like that. So I had four days of that. <clears throat> so in the fall that I was there, I started the Young Farmers Foundation in Sonoma County. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's still going. So anyway, I started that and then I went back to school in February of uh, 51. Of okay. 52. 52. Okay. <clears throat> and I got through that semester okay, although they had botany and only the people that were in advanced cases took the botany and that's the only thing that I, was, I, I had available. And <clears throat> so I took botany and I survived it. <laughs> then, I, then I came home and went to Santa Rosa Junior College and I spent a year there and I had a really good uh, uh, teacher for teaching anatomy. And so I learned my anatomy and I only took the courses that would get me a degree in, uh, in veterinary medicine. Yeah. Because they wanted yeah. me to take some two unit courses. And I said, you can't transfer two unit courses and get three units of work. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's what I did. So want to want to shift gears here just a second um, and talk a little bit more about the sheep, Fred. I, I bought a couple of rams from you and we got, got some outstanding ewes from you. But I want to know how you pick your rams. What do you look for in a ram that you're picking out for your sheep? Well, you know, as a veterinarian, what I do is I tell people that want to get started in sheep, I, I say, you know, you have to look at the sheep as, as any other animal. <clears throat> You've got to have all the requirements that cause them to get big and grow. So mm -hmm. you've got to feed them when they're young and get the maximum amount of growth out of them. So when you select your lambs, you've got to make sure their chest is wide and deep okay. and their feet are squarely under them because they're going to have to move unless you live in the Midwest where everything's given on a platter. You, ha you have to move around the field and get the food. Yep. Then if you have to, uh, you, then you have to look at the body, the rest of the body. They've got to have enough, a big enough chest so that the lungs have room to grow and mm -hmm use that for air exchange and your heart has to have room to grow and move and then you've got to have an abdomen that's deep enough and long enough that will hold uh, a lot of food because they got to have a lot of food for the rumen there's four four stomachs in the sheep and they've got to fill that rumen and and the uh, reticulum with food and it's got to be big enough to hold a set of twins. And then after the twins are born, uh, they've got to have enough room for the food, that extra food that goes in the rumen, because they got to feed those lambs. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at something that stands on four quarters, that's got enough, enough stature and enough room. And I think you saw that in the studs that you saw at my place. 
Absolutely. Uh, they, they, they have to have that or else I, I don't even consider them. Does all of that relate to um, the muscle volume that those rams are packing to? One of the things that we've really noticed about the, the lambs that we have sired by your rams is that they've got really deep loins and really long loins for their body size. They really seem to pack that muscle in. Is that something you've emphasized? Well, yes. You know, and I found out that uh, uh, in the 1970s that the loini, which is the longissimus dorsi muscle, which is like the muscle that you put on your T-bone steak and on your plate, uh, that that muscle is really important. So I used to start, I used to get my lambs that I butchered and I'd get a piece of paper and I'd trace the loini measurements on it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'd trace them and I was so frustrating because I'd get a loini that was really big. Well, what am I going to do with it? I can't reproduce it, you know? <laughs> so I have to do that so I have to do that with a, the mass of sheep that I've got. I've got to get those that have the loin eyes that are big. Yeah. So I, I had a friend of mine who was a, a veterinary uh, radiologist, and she was using an ultrasound. So I got her some lamb to eat, and she came out, and she'd do the ultrasound. And she'd do one or two evaluations of that muscle, and she'd go down from the vertical uh, spine down halfway about 45 degrees and she'd get that depth of that muscle. Yeah, yeah. Then I found out in, in 2012 that the bigger the loin eye muscle, the more total body muscling is on that animal. And so you could, you could, you could see that you could get maybe $5 more for a carcass that had a large loin eye than you would for one that had a small loin eye. Yeah. So I started aiming the loin eye for that result. And I actually proved that in 2009, I got semen from England and we had gotten semen from New Zealand in 2002. But in, in England, I had this ram, and we had six uh, ram lambs from it, and I was working with Cody Hinkey. Now, Cody worked for Nyman Ranch, and he, he graduated from Wisconsin, and he got his master's degree in uh, loin eye measurement. So he and I tangled and to got together in 2006, and he was here for about six years, and he worked for me on weekends playing around with loin eyes and that kind of thing. Yeah. So we we found out how to do that kind of thing. We had six ram lambs out of that artificial insemination. <clears throat> he said, we only need between the two of us three rams. So we took the other three rams and put them in a pen and we grew them out. And I had rams too. I had four at that time and we grew them out with them. So it came time to butcher and so we said, well, we'll get the, the ranch slaughter out here. We had a very good ranch slaughter, got him out. We had weighed them at eight o'clock in the morning and he was there at noon and we dressed them out and weighed them right there. We found out that the three that we had from artificial insemination out of my ewes and the English ram dressed out 49%. And the four that I had out of my ewes and my rams dressed out 53%. Really? So that's four pounds. Now that's ranch research and it's not, it's not, right. you know, it's, you have to do it if you don't have research facilities. Right. So that's what we did. And that just proved to me that I was on the right track. Well, it seems like you've always kind of done that ranch research. You're always always asking questions and trying to measure your progress. Is that is that right? Well, that's true. And but you know, because I'm a veterinarian, I think about a lot of things and I think about an easier way to do it. I'm not gonna do it if it takes me twice as long to do it 
but the results you have to take, and you've got to be able to weigh those. So I'm really a scientist in a way, but that's what got me through veterinary school. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So Fred, what's your favorite time of the year working with sheep? What do you like? What job do you like best with sheep? Oh, when I'm through and go to sleep. <laughs> do you like lambing best or do you like shearing or what's, what's your favorite? I have to say the whole thing is my favorite. Not because when, when you go through this and you spend the time on paper, getting the papers ready to put the ram with the ewes, yeah, that's what you're selecting. And then you're, you're looking at their loin eyes and you're looking at their size and you and actually at, at, at 60 to 90 days, I'll take them in and weigh them and I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll classify them as A plus A, A minus B plus B, C, D. And so I'll use those standards kind of as a guide, but- And is that, is that based? that changes as they grow. Is that based on weight and structural correctness and all of those things? Yes, you've got to, you've got to base it on all of those things because okay. there are some animals and some of my kids are the same way. They, they, were, they were not really tall until they got through high school. Right. And then, right. And then they're six six and six eight, you know, and they've grown that extra two feet or two inches uh, at at later in life. So that's the way animals are, but they're not they're not all the same, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So you, you pick pick, and one of the ones that you got is one last week is one of the best ones for growing at. Uh, uh, an, an early age, so okay. I hope that carries on. But you do, you just don't know. But chances are that can happen. Well, one of the other things I've really appreciated about the sheep that we've gotten from you, Fred, is just how easy they are to handle. You know, I got those rams home, and it's a new place, and um, we use dogs, as you know. And I mean, they they stepped off the trailer and walked right calmly down the lane into the pasture I needed to put them in and it's just it's like they're such a pleasure to handle do you well, do you select for that as well is that something you you well, try to select everything for? but I, I use a dog as much as I can but I use it as little as I can yeah but, you know once once they find out that if they go uh from the from a field to a place where they can get something to eat it's like going to town, you go to the <laughs> grocery store you know, and get the same product that you liked and you ate before and it worked for you. And so yep. that's, yep. and I think that's what, what you do for sheep. Well, I, I agree. I think the other thing that I've always appreciated about your sheep, whether I'm looking at them at your place or, or whether they come home, you know, I never turn my back on a ram. Never. Just, but never. your rams, your rams have never been aggressive, or I always keep an eye on them, but they're never aggressive or, or come after you, and I, I appreciate that. You want me to tell you how I broke my right knee? Yes, my left knee. Well, I had, I had these sheep, uh, ewes and lambs, uh, on the hill, and I put them in the barn, and uh, I had a dog at that point in time, and I said. I don't want you guys in here. I've got to take this feed out and throw it over the fence. So she gets around and gets them out. Well, they turned around and came back behind me. And oh. I said, hey, I thought I told you to get them out of here. And I went and got the extra hay. And I'd gotten and I was walking past a feeder. And I know what happened. She bit one of them, the one ram that went back. And he said, I'm not going to stay here any longer. I'm going to get out of here. And he came flying out, and he hit me just above the knee and shattered, shattered it. But that's the only time I've ever had a problem with one of mine. Now, I I was vet checking in uh, Cloverdale, and uh, I had a ram come around and hit me and knock me down, and I, I broke my hip with that one. 
But that was just a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the guy yeah. that was supposed to be in there holding that ram, uh, he came down and bought three rams from me uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. But he was one of these guys that when he was working, he was working. No chit chat, yeah. no stories, no no jokes, nothing. He he worked hard, and he watched out for for me, and he would. You protect me as much as he could. Wow. And I told him, I said, you know, you're the best. And then the year I got, I got a problem was when these two guys were in there and they weren't watching. They weren't. And they, this ram came around the corner and I was, I had my back turned because I was closing the door. We were doing foot and leg checks. Oh, okay. Closing the door. And he came around behind me and hit me and laid me out. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, those are the uh, hazards you have of being a veterinarian. Yeah, and and the hazards of doing this kind of work. I mean, they're they're animals and they're big and strong and fast. And yeah, and if you're not, you got to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the best lamb or I guess mutton meal that you've ever eaten? What's your favorite meal with lamb? Well, you know, I, and I tell my wife, she said, what do you want for dinner? And I said, put it on the table, I'll eat it. <laughs> when I was a kid, my, my, we, I grew up during Second World War. And what you put on the table, if you didn't eat it, you saw it the next morning. Or the, So I, I eat everything that's on my plate, and I love everything. I, lo I love uh, lamb shanks, and I love... Yeah. Uh, Things with flavor in them, and and uh, I also cook and I I make heart and tongue uh, ragu, Ooh. a ragu which is a vegetable stew. Yeah, heart and tongue, and I I put it in a pressure cooker and I cook her, and I make little cubes out of it, and I put um, oh my balls with it, and we make a stew out of it. Oh boy! So what time should I be there for dinner? Anytime, just like <laughs> time. Wow, that sounds amazing. It, it is good, and I can give you that recipe. But it's just, it's yeah. just, it's just that and and vegetables and the the stew, and it works out great. Oh, I'll bet, I'll bet. So every time you and I talk, I mean, we've known each other what, probably five or six years. Yeah. Every time we talk, you always tell me something that you've just learned you seem like you learn something new every time every time we get together and that talk about what keeps you so curious about things how do you keep learning and how do you you're you're just amazing that way Fred what keeps you interested well you know or maybe you don't know but I um <clears throat> I stood on the corner of East Catania Avenue and Penaluma Hill Road when they were look when the legislative committee was looking for a place to put the Sonoma State University. And I held up a four by eight sheet of plywood the year I graduated for a fellow that I worked for. Uh, he got me out of school. Uh, he called. He talked to me the February that I before I graduated, and I came to work for him. And um, so I had an association with the university and I, I spent about 15 years doing uh, little things for them, like their, their uh, rats and mice type of thing. And uh, one of them I did uh, a, 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 a water uh, animal. And so uh, I got an opportunity about Oh, about 15 years ago to work uh, to teach over there. They had uh, room for, they had somebody who was teaching veterinary medicine for their students. They have a program in uh, the first two weeks in, in uh, July, or it's a one week or two week program. And it's for uh, teaching students that are fourth, fifth and sixth graders. And so uh, that's, a, that's a challenge. But you got these guys, these kids, and they're most of them are smarter than you are. 
<laughs> so uh, what I did was I would I would work with them and I'd get people that had dogs that were seeing eye dogs or, or assistant dogs. They'd come and present. Uh, we do go uh, and there was there's a, a a place over here in uh, San Rosa that has giraffes and other animals, and uh, they would bring the skeleton of a giraffe down and throw it on the floor and they'd put it together. You know. Oh wow. Like that. Yeah. And, and what I learned from them, or what I, I, I worked with them on, was teaching them to ask questions about things that were really important. And I called the, the class Veterinary Adventures. Oh, cool. And, and uh, those kids, have, they come, their parents have come by years later and they say, you know, that was the best class, and my daughter's in veterinary school, or she wants to be in veterinary school, or she couldn't make it in. But that's what. Anyway, so I did that for about seven years, and then I even taught Lingy, who's my wife, who ran the Tevis Cup. Uh, she, I talked her into spending some time there. So, well, when you run the Tevis Cup, it's a hundred miles in twenty-four hours. And, yeah. and and she did that in 1989. She says, I can't do that. And I said, yes, you can, because you've done it. So I took her up there, and we started at 8 o'clock, but class doesn't start till 9. So she went up there, and she started writing all these things down. And so 9 o'clock came, and we read the role, and I introduced her, and, and she started talking about horses. And anybody got horses? A couple hands went up. And so right away we had people asking questions yeah she spent an hour and a half in there and we're supposed to have a recess every hour <laughs> and those those kids just went bananas over the way that she presented and I'll she bet. talked about you know dragging things across in egypt to build a, the, the buildings in egypt and all yeah and all of the things that were done by hand and then they got a the horse and they got a wagon or they drug him with a wagon and then they had horses with. And so the, the kids just loved it. And they spent time just beating her up with questions. Oh, so that. That, that we, they, we did that for a couple of years. So it seems like you kind of bring that same curiosity. You always are asking questions. Um, and it seems, I mean, Somebody that's that's had as much experience as you, Fred, to be still asking questions and still learning is just amazing to me that, that that's still so much a part of what you do. Well, it is, and I really enjoy learning, and uh, I'm going to continue doing that as much as I can. And uh, as a matter of fact, I went through some things this morning, and I'll, uh, I'll share some of those with you when the time comes. But yeah. Uh, Boy, I tell you, uh, if you don't learn from something, you're you're like the people that we have now that are that are uh, causing problems. They're not learning; they're just finding a way to have fun. That's what they call fun, yeah. and I don't see it as fun. But uh, we've got some serious things to do, and we've got some people that need to need to be taught how to ask questions. Yeah. If you don't teach them to ask questions, they're not going to learn anything. And yeah. that's how you thats how you work with people. And I learned that in my last 20 years in veterinary medicine, uh, I had more time because I was a little more relaxed. But I worked with people that had dogs and cats, and I taught them how to have fun with their animals and how their animals could have fun working with them. And yeah. that relationship, uh, the relationship with animals, and I've heard about it in prisons, and I've heard about it with people that are uh, come home from the war, how those dogs and those animals uh, have an impact on their personality and how they survive and how they, how they, they solve their problems. And just... If nothing more, they sit out in the step and the dog licks their face. You know, how many times can you get people to come up and lick your face? <laughs> you know? Rarely, so, if ever. 
So that, <laughs> well, uh, Jimmy was just in here, but she's <laughs> anyway. Uh, I think that we don't know enough about what we don't know. Yeah. And so we got to yeah. find out. We got to find out. And uh, there's so much technical technology going on. And now we're we're into Mars and some of those other places. And we're finding out that maybe there's some moisture on some of those planets and maybe there's something else that we're missing, you know, uh, whether it's good or whether it's economical. Uh, you can't always judge that until you find out what's there and how you can use it to better everything. Well, but you got to keep asking questions to get there. That's the thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what, what's been the biggest change in the sheep business in your lifetime, Fred? What, what's changed the most? I think the technology of, of science. And when I graduated from school, I looked at, I looked at where we were and I looked where uh, Australia and New Zealand was. And after I graduated and got into the, the industry, <clears throat> I found out that um, there are some people that are really into the uh, science of what they're doing, and they can make a, a tremendous effort uh, and have re good results by doing things that nobody else has done or trying things that, uh, that people thought could not be done. Mm -hmm. and I, I, I've, I've been really unhappy through the veterinary career that we have not spent more time doing the kinds of things that you're doing by changing things, by keeping good records. And, you know, uh, I had problems with Dorsets and I had Dorsets from New Zealand and I thought, wow, these are great. And I used those Dorsets to continue what I was doing with some Dorsets here on the ranch. And after about five years, I had dorsal lambs at three uh, weeks of age that couldn't walk. Wow. And they had like the same thing that, uh, that some dogs get uh, with cervical disc problems. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. So I had to put them to sleep. And then I had one in the same group that was four months old and he was starting to wobble. So we wobbled him into the... Uh, 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 freezer and we ate him but you know they're just that those kinds of things that if i had not if i had not had those records in front of me i would have said that's a kind of rare, rare thing but i i got back and i found out where those lambs came from and i had used the two we had four rams four lambs uh, one had died two rams were alive and i used those rams because of oh boy that's from new zealand and we can really do get something done well with that well four four years down the road we did something with them that yeah and but you had to have those records to be able to decide that's right. that. if you didn't have the records you'd be sitting out there just you'd be wondering for the rest of your life what that Guessing. was yep and if i yep. hadn't seen it in dogs I wouldn't have made a diagnosis. Oh yeah, right, right. What do you think are the are the greatest opportunities for the sheep business right now, Fred? Where do you think we're going? I think it's really good. Um, the thing is that we've got to have food, and we've got to have clothing, and I think that if you have sheep that don't have wool then you have a meat animal. Mm -hmm. If you have sheep that have wool, now <clears throat> Lingy, Lingy had some of my Shropshire wool and she had it knitted into a vest. Well, uh, when it's cold, I'm not cold because I have that vest on. Yeah. And then yeah. you said you had the movie Much Ado About Mutton and that, that, talks about using the mutton that they had used for wool for the English uh, sailors. Yeah. And they took that lamb and I had one that was so I had a ram that was seven years old and we butchered him and he, he hung for two weeks 
and then we used them at the Nature Conservancy, and it was great. So you're learning how to learning more things, and here we brought yeah. something back from from years ago, and we can use it. Although well, I mean, maybe you have to change your 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 uh, taste a little bit. But you can do that with flavors and things that we've got now. We, when we were selling at the farmer's market, um, we started selling mutton for pet food. And I finally had a customer come back and said that pet food that you sold me made the best curry I've ever had. And we, so we started selling it as, as stew meat and making sausage and, and people loved it. So I, I well, think there are some opportunities out there. And when you sell it, it's already got that stamp, that USDA stamp on it. When right. I sell mine and I have a, a, a butcher come here, uh, I tell everybody that I learned how to, to do this in veterinary school, and I sit there and watch everyone of butchered. And yep. so uh, that's how I protect my clients. Yep, yep. And we do some of that too, Fred. We do some of that too. So I got one last question for you. We're asking, asking everybody this question when they come on our podcast. What would you tell a young person who wanted to get started in the sheep business? What would you say to that person? I'd say that you probably need to have some uh, relationship with somebody that's in the business that can teach you uh, more about them and then you need to have somebody that's 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 in the um, um, in the livestock industry to let them know what they can expect. Because if they are told, "Oh, it's no problem. Just go ahead and raise them," and you know, <laughs> and then they find out that uh, they've got to get a job at uh, at, at the store somewhere or port. Uh, uh, pumping gas or whatever, they're so disappointed. And it was like me, uh, I had that thing on my arm. Well, uh, I, that was a strep infection. And how did that doctor know that? Because he knew he was following the, the criteria for animals. Right. And I was an animal in his mind because I had legs and arms and eat and so on. And he did what he knew was correct. And I never told the doctor that, but I reside, I survived because of it. But I think, yeah, you've got to get somebody. And I would point to you to, to teach them because you've had, you've had enough uh, events that cause you a problem that you can see some of them come up and then you raise a flag in front of them right. and say, right. here's something you better watch for. So, well, and I think, I think the other point you make is really important for anybody starting out in, in any agricultural enterprise. And that is to really start to understand the economics. Exactly. Don't have, um, don't have expectations that it's a way to get rich quickly. That's but, right but really understand the economics and have somebody help you understand those economics. But it's also a way of life. And right. if you can enjoy life, then you, or because, you, you know, when I was seven, I was watching chickens, 8,000 chickens, and they were having a relationship with one another, particularly with a rat, with the roosters and the hens. And you could just sit there and watch them and you say, that's a human trait. It isn't a human trait. It's an animal trait. Right. And if people follow those animal traits, you know, they are fighting one another or they're, they're, they're moving somebody over, uh, out of my way, and uh, they're in their car uh, moving. It, it, and that's, that's a natural trait for animals. And so yep. to recognize that and say, oh, this is, they're just, that's just what they do. And you've got to you've got to understand it in order to survive it. If you don't understand it, you're going to get really disappointed. So I got one, I do have one more question for you. Then probably everybody that that raises sheep has been told by somebody that sheep are stupid. 
What do you tell people when they tell you sheep are stupid? I tell you, I tell them that they have not spent enough time watching animals. I tell my people who work for me, you put food out for these animals, you don't turn around and walk away. And I do this for the 4-Hers particularly, yep. because yep. the 4-Hers are so busy, they throw the food out. If one animal goes over there and sticks their nose in it, oh, he's eating. But you don't know that until you see him chewing. And so watching animals and spending some time observing them and what their normal uh, features are, yeah. and how they yeah. survive in their own environment. Because it's like what you see on the TV now. Everybody's just moving around and the guy with the biggest club is the one that wins. And that's, you know, <laughs> And, and yeah. that's so good. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, you have to, you have to really watch and watching chickens for me, because we had to keep our windows closed and covered because we knew the Japanese were going to come to the Pacific coast. Oh, right. Couldn't, we couldn't go out and leave the lights on at all. So we knew that they were coming for us. And so I couldn't, have any relationship with any of my peers uh, because we had we couldn't go anywhere. We'd go somewhere and it'd have a, a uh, an event, and you had to sit there with your lights off until they said it was all clear. You know, kind kind of makes this quarantine we're going through now seem like it's it's pretty easy to cope with, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, nope. but you know, if you don't want to wear if you don't want to wear a mask. You have to realize what the alternatives are, huh? <laughs> what are the alternatives? <laughs> <laughs> if you're old like me, maybe there aren't any. <laughs> well, no, Fred, I'm still fighting back. <laughs> <laughs> Fred, thank you so much for for spending an hour with me today. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I hope I hope it, it has been a help for everybody that's listening because. That's what I do, and I, I got a letter. I was going through my stuff, and I got a letter from somebody that wrote me when I quit veterinary work, and he, he said, I've, I've worked with you for 38 years, and he said, I'm so happy you did what you did with me when you did, and this was a guy that was very strong and very able, and then he got uh, so that he couldn't do these things, and I did work for him, and I went overboard for him because I, he was he was a, he was he was not normal anymore, and it, it just he's never forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that that's that's why it's been so wonderful to get to know you over these years, Fred. I, I just thank you for sharing all of that experience with folks. And you know, I want to uh, warn you too that I'm not finished with you. <laughs> I would hope not. Well, you, you know, let me tell you, I went to, I went in, 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 in 2007, I was at the 125th anniversary of the Shropshire Braid in England. And I'm the only one that I know of, or may know of, that was asked to go to England in 2011 to judge a, a show and sale in England. Wow. They, there's nobody from the United States I know that's ever, wow. ever done that because that's the birthplace of the breeds. Wow. What so an I honor. So proud. I was so proud. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. I was, over, I was over there in 07 and then they invited me back. And, well, I, I, I brought some pictures. And you know what the picture showed him, muscle. And then I sent semen over there, and we got 138 lambs from Shropshire semen from that the Grobermans, from my flock. Oh, man. And from out of that flock came a ram that was the best, who out of a mother that was the best mother in England. And she was a Shropshire ewe that was 
14 years old. And oh, she my word. Yes, Ram, that they had in England for two years. Wow. So it did some good there, too. That's amazing. What a great story. And I have the oldest flock in the world, according to England. Wow. Well, I'm, I am honored to have part of that flock here at our place in Auburn. Thank well, you. Well, I'm honored that you think enough of that to keep it going. Well, we do. We do. Good. Good. Fred, thank you. You're we'll, right. uh, All right. We'll talk again soon. I hope. All right. Yes. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.